Hello, welcome to episode three of Therapy Tales with me, Dawn Walton, a human therapist, and me, Jess Probst. <laughs> I think this is like one of those things where you don't know how the person is going to introduce themselves. They do it differently at the start of every show. So last it was um, <laughs> Jessica. This is Jess Probst. I think Jess, when put on the spot, has no idea who she is. Because I'm much more of an informal person than I am formal, am I? I'm yeah, well, more... this was an informal, you know. I, I, is this I'm formal? A... This is, this no, it's, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm a dog behaviourist. That's all you need oh, to say. I see. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they need to know what you're talking about. That's cool. Okay, so you, now I've introduced Jess, Jessica, Jess Pros, whatever yes. you want to call her. You can call me Jessie if, if a parent, if a parent's call me Jessie. Okay, so if you want to be Jess's parents, you can refer to her as Jessie next time you see her. You tell me off, it's Jessica. <laughs> Speaking of telling me off. <laughs> yeah, there we had, go. We had some incidents today. Did you like that segue? That was that was brilliant. So, um, yeah, we, we just finished our educational walk. We're now sitting in Starbucks with Toosie crashed out beside us and um, chatting about our download of, of today's walk. And it started off really interestingly where someone walked right up to me this this morning with a young bull terrier, so quite a muscly dog, and his intention caught the eye of my dogs. So um, his intention was, I'm going to go speak to that woman over there. I'm going to go right up to her car. And of course, my dog went, whoa, what's happening? Someone's walking right up to us with this dog strangling itself on the lead. And I can, he said to me, he wants to join the walk. And I said, oh, okay. And you caught me off guard there. As normally, trainer head on, I would have gone, just stop approaching. It's really difficult because I've got members of the public and you've got people that I'm working with. And, um, you know, the, the way it played out was that he went off in a wee bit of a huff, I think. Um, so I said to him, oh, that's fine, you can join, but I'd like you not to use an extension lead and um, could you not let your dogs meet dog meet other dogs like you've just done because your dog's gone up. I'd like you to tell it when to go. And um, he sort of took a little bit of talking and then he decided that he didn't want a trainer. And I didn't realise that at the time. I, I thought, because people come to me because they want help, right? Yep. He didn't want help. He wanted to join the play group and let his dog run riot with the dogs. So when I'm pointing out all the things that I'd like him to change, he's immediately gone on the defensive. And I hate that, because I don't want people to be you know, upset by me, yep. but I sort of have to take responsibility at the same time that that dog's gonna cause a riot, right? Yep. So how, how could I dealt with that differently? I don't think it's always about dealing with it differently. It's all, it's actually the impact that it has on you is the thing that you have to measure, not necessarily the way you deal with it. Okay. So, um, Everybody comes at things from their own experiences, their own model of the world. You know, we, we've talked, I think, before about this kind of brain switch off state, how we're not really here. So, you know, if I see, if I, before I'd met you, if I saw a pack of dogs like that in the park, I'd have been like 100 miles the other way. You know, it's like that's out, out of control pack of dogs. That would be my perception of a pack of dogs. Um, but if you see a cute puppy, you go, oh, cute puppy, right? So everybody has their own perceptions and it's like a snapchat filter you know like you're looking at people with floppy dog ears or something you don't realize you've got the snapchat filter on so a guy is going to approach you and kind of have a perception already about who you are what you do what your standing is in life and what he can get out of you and then he's going to come with his expectations and his personal opinion of how he is as a dog and actually I think that's true of every single person who comes to the first time for the dog walks. They all come with their own perception of how they are as dog owners and their own judgments of the dogs that they're going to meet and see around them. And I'm going to, so the normal way things go is that they come along uh, on the back foot slightly. Yep. You know, I've got this trainer I'm coming to for help. 
and you know I'm a little bit anxious how my dog's going to behave. Little bit. And understatement. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I take the role of right. I'm going to help you. This is what we're going to do. Yes. And this guy didn't fit the standard model. No. I sort of picked up on that because I, I said to him, "Oh, um, I wasn't expecting you because it, it was so abrupt coming towards me, really close, yeah. only meters from me." And um, I actually, my brain went into, I need to know what, he, what he's looking for. So I said to him, the first thing I said was, what are your goals? Yes. That's the first thing I said, to get the dog off fleet. So yeah. now, now I know, after the conversation, that he wanted the dogs to come on the playgroup, right? Yes. Um, which isn't a playgroup, it's a very, you know, structured sort of thing. Um, do this first, and then you earn the right to be off fleet. Yep. You know, walk, walk nicely to heal, meet dogs appropriately, so on. Um, so yeah, there was miscommunication on both parts, and I treated him like the standard model of "you've come to me for help," and he yeah. actually hadn't. Yeah. So both of you. I felt bad. But both of you had your own filters on. Okay. Right. So both of you started that conversation from a totally different standpoint, but neither of you knew that because everybody assumes they know what other people are thinking, but nobody does. Right. So we've all got this assumption that we can measure up people, we can weigh up people, unless you're autistic, in which case the reason that people with on the spectrum are so anxious is because they know they can't measure oh. up people, right? Okay, yeah. So that awareness that other people seem to be able to read each other and interact and adapt, whereas somebody who's on the spectrum knows they can't do that, makes them super anxious because they think they're different. But actually, it's a superpower because they know what everybody else hasn't realized yet is that you can't read minds and you can't control people. And actually just realizing that can be hugely powerful because then when you go into any interaction, you go, right, they don't know what I'm thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. We have a blank sheet of paper between us, but their blank sheet of paper actually is fully filled in. Mine is fully filled in and we can't see each other's. So the conversation always starts with you on a different page, starting from a different start line. So the trick is to realize that. So I talk about three A's. I talk about um, awareness which is the first thing is going oh actually that's why they approach me in this way this is why the attitude would have been like this this is why i'm reacting this way so awareness is a really without awareness we can't get anywhere the second thing is acceptance of course i feel that way of course i reacted that way because i was in this situation i was put under threat and then the last day is action which is so what am i going to do about it what am i going to what am i going to change how i'm going to respond to this so in this case what you have is Firstly, an awareness, you've got a random stranger with a potentially aggressive dog who has no understanding of boundaries, who has approached you in a very direct way. And that in itself means that you have to put your boundaries up. And we've talked about this before. We've talked about it's hard when you're helping people because you're a helper and you want to help people. And especially if you see a dog that needs help, you're going to want to do what is necessary to help that owner to help dog and ultimately i feel bad because he then went he put his hands up and went you know i'm just gonna go so he felt like defensive because i was telling yeah. him what i'd like him to do he wasn't yeah. looking for that kind of help and then i feel empathy for him yeah that he's misread me i've miscommunicated yeah and also you know is he going to go out there and tell everybody that i'm this horribly rude person <laughs> yes and that's so that's the the consequences thing so the first thing is um you know, he's misread me or whatever. Well, he hasn't because he hasn't read you at all. And nothing you did would actually have changed the way he responded other than, you know, go all soft and cooey and go, aren't you an amazing person? And I'd love to help you. Um, so there's actually nothing you could have done that would have changed the way he approached you and how he did it because he did that from what we call his model of the world. And you right. can't change or know his model of the world. Um, the second thing is that 
you and I are both the same on this one because when something doesn't go quite right or when somebody says something or when somebody says, you know, you're not helping me or you're screwing me over or whatever it is, my first thing is, right, my whole career is over. Um, everybody's going to tell everybody. Um, nobody's ever going to come and see me again. And, um, yeah, everybody, everybody's going to hate me. You know, and, and we, we do that. And, and that's because our jobs are incredibly reputation-based. And reputation takes a lot of time to build up and very quick to destroy. So one of the things I've been talking to Jess about is, like, this is your reputation, so these are your boundaries. They, everybody has to follow your terms and your rules, and if they don't like it, then they have to go well, away. I, I think I was pretty. I don't think I would change what I. I just obviously feel like I didn't know. Initially you need to what not feel wanted. bad. That's the thing you okay. need to change. Is that you were absolutely exactly. So so when you say what could I do differently? Well, I wouldn't have liked to be a pushover and gone. Oh yeah, just come along. I know you know what I mean. Yeah. So you know I was boundaries. I said this is what I, this is what I'm looking for for you. So in terms of what you could do differently, you, you didn't do anything that you should do differently. You should just not feel bad about it. You know? <laughs> because um, actually, one of the things that's really important to realize, and I have to realize this with my clients, is I'm not the right therapist for everybody. And if, if I work with somebody who doesn't believe in what I do, doesn't think I'm the right person to help them, thinks I'm too cool. That's actually more damaging. That's more damaging. Yeah. It's not good for them, and it's not good for me. Absolutely. So I should be saying, Go elsewhere to find somebody that is better for you, and you, you're the same. You, you can't help everybody. They're not the right people for you. So it's actually better to say to some people, these are my terms. If you don't like them, go elsewhere. And that's fine by me, and it'll be fine by you. It'll be better for you. It's, it's um, Yeah, it's a scary prospect, but I think that the educational walks have showed me what kind of clientele work really well with me. Yep. And, and it's a real shame, because it's taken me almost two decades to realise that. <laughs> You know, it's almost like a a survey because you've got all these people that are collecting and they're all really the same mindset. They're yeah. either academics or they're people that are really interested in learning more. You know, your people that want shortcuts are just not going to cut it because I'm looking for people that, that do the work. Yeah. You know, and the, yeah, the, the same, same that, here, right? So when somebody comes to a session with me, I can do my magic. You can do your magic. If I gave you a dog, you'd sort it. Um, but we're not, we're not doing it ourselves. We're working with somebody else to do it. And actually, most of the work happens in between, right? It happens in between the walks, in between the sessions. In Absolutely. Yeah. It's the commitment that they make to continually coming back or to trying something. Or when you say, you know, you need to do this when you go home, that they need to do it. We have no power over whether somebody does that or not. So what we have is the ability to have people work with us and tell them up front, if you want it to really work, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And if it doesn't, go if I had it myself, it'd be fine. So I can't feel bad. It's, it's losing the spiky stick. Stop beating yourself up for the stuff. And accept. So that's that awareness, acceptance, and action thing. Okay. So another mis miscommunication that happened on the walk today was um, I didn't even see it. I was way to the poop in with some stuff. And um, I, somebody walked through the pack of dogs right through the middle and not just in the middle but we were playing on the logs and, and um, doing a bit of training and some somebody walked through the middle with another dog and one of the clients told her off and obviously he's um, got quite upset because the dogs have had a, a confrontation nothing nothing major he's got upset and he's told this person off um, and that's you know upsetting to hear from me because I wasn't even there you know, I'm supposed to be in control of my group of humans as well as the dogs, right? <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, what's everyone going to think? You know, if those people go out and say how rude we were or whatever. But yeah, it's it's um, it's trying part of it's letting go and realizing that it's 
we can't control people, we can't control their minds, we can't control what they think and how they respond. Because if we could, we would never have to worry because we control people <laughs> and we control their minds. This is what people don't get, right? It's like when you're worrying about what people think. So pretty much every person that comes to your dog walks for the first time is in that state of worrying what everybody thinks. I'm a bad dog parent. You're going to think I've lost control of my dog. I'm sorry about my dog. It's going to do all these things. And I'm really sorry. And I feel super embarrassed and super anxious about it. And they all turn up with their dog apologizing. And everybody else is like, oh, we've been there. <laughs> Hello. Well, we had a great one. Um, obviously, you've been away this week, so you missed the Saturday one. But we had a great one where we had a wee. Um, it was the cutest little guy. I'm sure he'll come back. Got old Biff, and um, everyone just walked. And and I was like, isn't this hilarious that he's like carrying on? Everyone's like just completely blank. And like, if you were in the park with the dog, like that, people would avoid you. Yep. You know. And they were all like, yeah, let's just go. Yep. You know, totally cool. Like it was just, I'll be fine in a minute. You know. It's... And then the dog so reacts to that. The dog's like, all right, okay, right, we're walking. <laughs> And then they kind of try it on with the other dogs, and the other dogs go, no, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. And then the owner just gets to go, oh, wow, I didn't think they had a stop. I thought they'd just keep going, you know. So for us, you but kind why, of make Why do humans like to escape from that, though? Why do, was our natural reaction, like, run away? Yeah, I, I think it's because we have this God sense that everything we do is significant and we're in control of everything. But actually the thing that causes our anxiety is the fact that we're not in control of everything. So we think we're gods, we can control what people do, we can control what people think, we can know all of this stuff, and our individual actions change the world. Like just existing sometimes can make people not like us. And and we have this amazing godlike power. Anxious gods. Yeah. But we're anxious gods and we're make silly gods. choices, like walking our dog through a pack of dogs. And then, you know, oh, there's puppies. I'll bring my dog up to yeah. puppies with adult dogs there who are clearly going to go protecting these puppies, take the dog away. Yeah, so uh, so we had the puppies out at the end of the walk. The puppies are old enough now that they're just bouncing around. And there was there was one of Jess's dogs there that is um, particularly maternal over the puppies at the moment, very protective. If anything comes near the puppies, it's like, get away, get away, get away. So this woman's walking past with a young cocker spaniel type of dog and it bounds over and she's calling its name and it's ignoring her because it's going to see the puppies. <laughs> and it bounds over, gets right in the thick of all the puppies. The, the Daxie's kind of woofing away at it, kind of going, get the heck out of here. And she's like, oh, come over here. And then she spots the puppies. She goes, oh, puppies. And then she comes along to see the puppies while her dog is just bounding along, being attacked by the Daxie to say, get away from the puppies. And she's totally oblivious. oblivious. Like, there's this whole totally other thing oblivious. happening. And people yeah. just don't... And I'm aware. saying to her, look, this, this dog is particularly defensive over the puppies just now. And it, it, it's going for anything that comes near them. Watch out for your dog. All oh, right, okay. Calls the dog again. Dog ignores her. Just... It's like a phenomenon, though. Um, it's like humans assume that their dog is the best thing ever because it's so loving to them. So everyone's going to love it as much yeah. as they do. Yeah. All dogs will love it as much as they yeah. do. It's, it's a strange thing. It is a this. strange thing, and I think it is quite unique to dog ownership. Yeah, I think so. People don't behave like that with their children. They, no, they, they can don't. assume that people aren't going to like their kids. Yeah, you know? and actually if a kid goes and punches another kid, the parents will be, like, horrified and... and you know, tell the kid it's not okay. But do you think then that there's this even worse shifting? Because we're talking about two things. We're talking about people that have got issues that are coming for help, right? Because yep. they're anxious and, and how's everyone going to think think about me and my, my dog? Yep. And you've got dog owners that haven't had any, like this woman with the puppy, the, um, the spaniel pup. So she's never had any bad altercations yet. Yep. Really no one's yelled at her yet that her dog's not, not in control or yep. it's not developed barking or lunging yet, right? And it will at some point, no yep. doubt. Um, so... 
there's a switch that happens where we've gone from my dog is wonderful till my god my dog is not wonderful and that's and, a big jump isn't it and it's switch you're right it's like it's not a gradual realization well, it's a really short space of time because yeah. you've got a puppy and then within a few months young adult right? yeah so it is it's a kind of a massive shock to the system and then that causes this huge undermining of confidence so that and it's back to the the three a's right it's an awareness and actually the people that you want are the ones that come to you that go ah this has changed i'm aware of this i don't know what to do and we we had a conversation through the week didn't we about the levels of of competence if you think about like four steps and on the bottom step you have unconscious incompetence right which is you don't know what you don't know most dog people that come yeah pretty much everybody (laughs) the day they turn up (laughs) to any of your walks i mean you turn up to the walks and that's why it's just like such great fun and why people love them so much because they're like whoa i didn't realize this this is really obvious but i hadn't thought of this so so everybody turns up with this unconscious incompetence you don't know what you don't know and then your job is to move them through that to the next step which is conscious incompetence so through going on the walks they're going Right. I'm aware of it now. I'm aware of it Still now. Still can't do it, but I'm aware, can't do it, but I'm aware of it. I'm, I, I can it's such see. a terrible word, but such a good word. It is. I like competence. It, it sounds so insulting, but it's actually a really good description. So the next level, which is what actually we're ultimately aiming for, is conscious competence. So um, I know what I know, and I know my limitations, and I know how it works. And we Mar- move a lot of people through that. You, you know, do. They come along on the walks, and it's like, wow, they get it. If they know? stick at it, and you know, you're super users are the conscious competence ones, you know, the ones that have been plenty and actually help the other guys now. Um, and they can tell the story of what they were like when they were unconscious incompetence and then they can help people realise how normal it is. And then the masters are the unconscious competence. They just do it without even thinking of it, which is where you sit, you know. And um, some people will get to that level, but it doesn't matter if they don't because actually what we need is the unconscious incompetent people who are curious enough, who recognise they have a problem, to turn up and go, Show me what I don't know. And that's those people who love that are the ones that come on the walks, gain the most out of it. The ones that kind of go, actually, I'm, I'm, I know my stuff. So they think they've got competence. Those are the wrong ones because you need the people who are. Well, that, that guy today was yeah. like uh, competently ignorant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, he was, I don't know what, I don't know what the, he's, he's unconscious incompetence. Right. You know, but he's unconscious incompetence without being self-aware. Okay. So he doesn't recognise that he needs to change. He doesn't. He doesn't care that he doesn't know what he doesn't know. He thinks he's conscious competence. Yeah. Um. And so those are the people you don't want. To. I was thinking when we were speaking earlier about him. I was thinking if it was dogs, we would have that. It wasn't really a confrontation as such, but it was a. We were both not very happy when we left it. Do you know? Yeah. He's, he's like, you can't help me. You walked away, and I'm thinking. Oh, I've been misunderstood there, uh, which I understand I wasn't now. He no. understood that I had boundaries and he wasn't accepting that, yeah, which exactly. is fine. But um, if that was dogs, he might come back tomorrow and go, hey, can we try again? And if humans behave like that, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Do you know? <laughs> but we don't, do we? We're no. going to just like avoid each other now forever. Well, also, um, it's a really uncomfortable place. The unconscious... But why do we... Why can't we feel okay with that being uncomfortable and then get over it like because we think everybody us. judges us right so we are we are all geared to fit in so it's a caveman imperative you know we have to fit in if we didn't fit in in the caveman days we would die right the strongest person in the pack survives the weakest person got kicked out of the pack we have a very primitive programming that is totally inapplicable these days but the programming still sits so we have to fit in 
some of us are able to forgive and move on. Like, for example, if he approached me tomorrow, I'd be over the moon. Yes. To, to be different with him and help him go, right, okay, well, this is what I need from you. Yeah, because you're self-aware, plus also you see the bigger picture. So being able to not take it personally and realize that it isn't personal. It isn't personal with him. He's not judging Jess. He is judging the woman that he but approached he in the park. he felt judged though, by me. Yeah, but he, but it doesn't matter because, you know, you're, you're, we all judge each other to a degree, but those of us who are more self-aware act beyond our initial judgments. Okay. For the greater good, put it that way, you know? Oh, that <laughs> So I, you know, I am perfectly happy for a client to say, this doesn't work for me because it's not that there's something wrong with me, it's that this doesn't work for them. And I would actually much prefer my clients got the help and got to a better place than me go, no, you have to keep working with me because that's my job. That's that's important for me. So my drive is to help people get to a better place. Whether I do it or somebody else does it, I don't really care. Well, financially I care, but you know, in, <laughs> in the main, I just want people to be in a better place. For you, it's the same thing. You want those dogs to have a better life. And you can see if an owner comes with a dog that is a certain way, you can. So one of the things that we can do as humans is we can predict consequences. We talked in our last podcast about how the brain isn't developed to do that until mid-20s. So until the mid-20s, you can't do that. But the, the benefit... Isn't that your subconscious that works on probability? Yeah, it just... Well, it works on risk. So up until that point, you're working on risk and experience-based risk. You can't predict risk based on a number of factors accurately until your brain's fully developed. But what that means is a fully developed brain is constantly predicting consequences. So you and me have an interaction like that and go, that's going to affect my reputation. They're going to tell everybody else. Everybody's going to see that. Everybody's going to sort of, every time they see me in the future, I'm going to have people come and have a go at me and nobody's going to bring their dogs anymore. And we've gone. We've gone to the worst case scenario because unfortunately when we predict, we don't predict everything to be shiny and happy. We don't want the opposite of that either. I don't want to be somebody who then goes, well, I don't care how that went. Yes. So somewhere in the middle of balance of going, you know, reflect yeah. and thought, how, how could I have made that better? How could I learn from that experience? And that's the learning thing, right? Which segues us into the pathways quite nicely. If we're ready to talk about pathways, because we had that on our list from last time. I'm keeping an eye on the, the time because the last one, we just went over an hour and I, I, I think that's a bit much for people for a podcast. But um, so, Short and sweet. Short and sweet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should stop now. No, kidding. Um, <laughs> so our brains learn by doing. That, that's how we learn. And so what happens is every time you do something, two neurons fire off and a physical pathway is created between those two neurons. Every time you travel that pathway, it gets thicker. And eventually, <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes what's called a lightning pathway. And what a lightning pathway does is it gives you drugs. It gives you good drugs. It gives you a drug called dopamine. Dopamine is a drug that you get for doing something the same way. Not something good, not something bad, just something you've done before. My theory of dopamine is it comes from the caveman days where you had to do rubbish things that were critical for survival. So your brain will give you this drug, and you go, yeah, I can do this thing. And then you're doing it going, I hate this. Why am I doing this again? <laughs> so it's a really powerful drug. And in fact, dopamine and endorphins were used as a chemical basis to develop heroin. Right? It's very addictive. Yeah. It's a very good drug. Um, <laughs> it's a very good, very good drug. drug that your brain naturally gives you based on circumstances, based on doing something the way you've done it before. So it's often called the habit drug for that reason. And this is why it's so hard to just stop doing a habit. Because if you stop doing a habit that you've got a pathway for, that gives you drugs, 
not only do you not get the habit, but you don't get the good drugs either. You go cold turkey. And cold turkey is, is rubbish and uncomfortable, right? So nobody wants the cold turkey feeling. So this is why whenever you take on something new, like so you will get pretty much everybody that comes to your walks when you start teaching them about the recall and the right use of leads and the vibration collars and things like that, the first thing you're going to get is everybody go cold turkey. You're telling them something they don't know. Unconscious incompetence means they don't have any pathways, they're not getting any drugs. It's easier for them to learn that new thing. By repetition. But their old habit's going to, a habit because yeah. of the... So what we, what we want to do when we're learning something new is we want to get a new pathway and we want to thicken it as quickly as we can so that it's thicker than the old pathway. Yeah, by repetition. But by conscious repetition, you have to be aware of what you're doing, not just do it. Because our brains learn by experience, not by thinking. So that's what makes it kind of tricky to do something new and to learn something new, is that these pathways and this drug habit that we have. So now, if you think about the way we're programmed, we're programmed based on primitive things. We're programmed based when we on... speak about programming, what we're meaning is that we're specifically working on creating a new pathway. Yeah. So we have... For me, it's like a systematic approach, right? The old habit's not going to die off nope. quickly. It's going to be there. Uh, we're making a, a new pathway, yep. and the more and more we do it, it then becomes the new habit. Yes. So when we talk about programming, it's our way of thinking ahead and going, how do we get this new habit in our favour? So the probability goes to the yep. new sign-up, um, yep. the, the new response rather than the old one. Yeah, and it is literally, you know, you, you did a video with Tusi showing that, kind of putting the food in front of her at first you grabbed it right and then it was like no but there's some other food here if you leave that you'll get this and you know you have to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so she started learning it and you'd probably have to do it over a number of days a number of weeks what i find is that owners don't put that repetition in yes and i try to be a good role model taking food out with me i'm, I'm almost constantly rewarding um and i'm not seeing enough of them in, in, you know, copying that behavior of, you know, reward, 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 because it just takes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of repetitions to get this programming. Yeah. Like us making a conscious choice to... to Inconsistent to, repetitions, right? It has to be the same, that's right. It has to be the same or similar in the same or similar setting, right? So... And then when we proof it, we take that same and similar and we move it one factor to the left. So mm -hmm. we're going to go, right, can she do a sit in a coffee shop? Mm -hmm. I know she can do it at home. I know she can do it in different places. So we make it, make it a wee bit harder. We keep lots of factors the same and just change one yeah so we proof it for different environments and then it probably is a bit of a wobble at first but quicker learning in those different environments and the more environments you get exposed to the quicker the learning becomes the more automatic it becomes human brain is just the same except that we are focused on everything that could possibly hurt us so we have been driven by our subconscious brain switch off programming so most of our pathways are based on avoiding risk Avoid on, uh, avoiding judgment, avoiding getting hurt. So in uh, any situation, the thing we're going to notice is likely to be the thing that's the risk, not the thing that we can learn. And so we have to consciously and deliberately create the pathways that we want to create because your brain will automatically do it at the end of the day. What your brain does at the end of the day is goes, right, let me check everything that's happened today and let me go through my database of everything I need to update and I'll get rid of everything I don't need to keep. This happens I'll, at a deep level of sleep, by the way. Yeah, yeah. In a, well, no, REM sleep, not deep sleep. So it's the, the surface sleep that this happens in, which is a mini therapist in your head, not the deep sleep. Mini therapist. 
It is. REM sleep is a mini therapist in okay. your head. Without REM sleep, actually, people go mad. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons we need to sleep. So um, in a normal sleep cycle, there's six hours of deep sleep and two hours of REM sleep. That's kind of split. Whatever number of hours you get, that's about the split that you need. And the REM sleep literally does the filing. It takes everything that's happening in your day. And it filing is a good way to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> it updates. But the problem is, if you can't do the filing, if it finds something, goes, oh, man, I don't know where that goes. What it does is it puts it to one side to do later. Grabs the next one. No, I don't know where that goes. Grabs it, puts it to one side. Your REM sleep gets extended. If your REM sleep gets extended, your deep sleep's reduced, which means your batteries aren't recharged. If your batteries aren't recharged, the next day, you don't have a brain, so you can't process stuff. So you can function, but you can't really think straight. What happens when you go into your REM sleep? can't do the filing now because you've not been able to process stuff all day so you can get caught in a sleep loop which is a really bad loop i think the sleep science should be a podcast episode it will be so much so, to sleep science so let's go back to the pathway so they did a they did an experiment um where they took they were looking at pathways and they did the fmri scans of the brain while they were doing it they took three groups of people they had one group of people practice playing the piano scales on the piano I think it's like two weeks, just for like 15 minutes a day on the piano. Second group of people never touched the piano, did that in their head. So in their head, rehearse scales on the piano. Imagine playing the piano, but nowhere near a piano. Just imagine exactly the same thing, same time, two weeks. Third group, control group, didn't do any piano stuff, right? Just did nothing with the piano. So they did the scans of the brains at the start and the end of the two weeks. The group that did it physically and the group that did it mentally have the same differences in their brain at the end of two weeks. Right? Without touching a piano, mentally rehearsing playing it, change their brain in the same way as physically rehearsing playing it. This is how powerful it is to lock in evidence and repetitively grow these pathways. And then, you know, what wasn't measured is the drugs that you then get for doing it. So at the end of the day, your brain just kind of goes, what pathways am I going to thicken? What am I going to get my drugs for today? What of all the things that happen today, what am I going to notice? Now, what tends to happen is you notice that this guy came up to you in the car park. It backed up with something else that had happened earlier with a neighbor, and it backed up with other things that have happened. And, you know, you now have all these examples of these people doing this and the way it makes you feel. So your brain's going, woohoo, I know this. I recognize this. This is what we do. This is what we react to. And those pathways in your brain that are, you know, they're judging me, and I'm good, my reputation is going to be affected, and this is getting thickened and thickened and you're getting more drugs for it so the next time an event like that happens it may be rubbish for you but your brain is going yes this is what we do <laughs> and that's what happens if you do nothing the conundrum is that we are trying to do the same thing on dogs when dogs come along we're trying to make a new pathway yep. of, of a behavior that we're going to call um a good behavior or a desirable behavior right so we're trying to make it a new path so let's take an easy one like when you meet a dog for the first time i'd like you not to pull on your lead i'd like you to sit first and then wait for uh say hi which is your release word for you can sniff now right right so it's politer than pulling and strangling yourself to get to the dog and the other dog's going whoa that's quite intense yeah yep. so we're creating a new pathway and behavior of sitting your bum and then okay go say hi at the same time, we're trying to get rid of the old habit of the owners, and the owner's brain's going, I should put tension in the lead, and the dog should pull me to that dog, and then we'll sniff, and I'm a good dog owner because I socialise my dog. Yeah. Which seems ridiculous to us, but that's how it goes 99.9% .9 of the time when I see dogs out in the park. Right. So they think that the dog should pull them, 
and that's an appropriate yeah. response. So we're trying to change them to get them to realise that's not what we're looking for mm-hmm. and trying to teach the dog at the same time. Mm-hmm. So you've got the person who's got to consciously remember, well, learn that and, and remember that, plus teach the dog. So we've got two things. Mm-hmm. And the person's feeling judged. Yep. And the dog's excited. Yeah. And if the dog doesn't do what they expect, they're looking around, saying, everybody's thinking I'm doing this wrong. Oh, God, I'm so bad. I'm so stupid. I can't understand it. Plus, you add to that the fact that I was talking to a couple of people on the, on the walk today. You know, one of the things you say is don't use the dog's name for everything, right? Tell them off, call them back. If you just use the dog's name, it's just that's not the right thing to do. It becomes white noise. So we try not to say Max sit, Max down, Max come, Max this. Because the dog starts to fade out the max bit, and what's the important meaty bit of the of the word that you're using? Exactly. And I was talking to a couple of people on the walk today, going, "God, it's so hard. You know, I'm so used to using the name, and they keep calling the name. And go, damn it, damn it, I shouldn't have done that. You know, I'm trying not to. So they're, they're trying to learn that. But but one of the things I, I kind of had noticed in the early dog walks is um, people do this kind of good boy, good girl all the time, right? And and so if we think of this as pathways, right? A pathway is I did this it was the right thing to do, or I did this and it was the wrong thing to do. And you do it by repetition and you learn, right? So you, you learn that. Now, what happens if you get good boy? Whatever you do, there's no clear link to a pathway. Good boy for running free, good boy for coming back to me, good boy for well, looking at Well, on Saturday we had, um, I, was, I was telling Biff's owner, and, and she'll forgive me for saying this, because um, we, we talked about it, she, she wanted to comfort him because yeah. she thought it was fear-based, his behaviour. So she wants to comfort him and tell him he's okay, which is a really nurturing mummy thing to do. Very natural for a human. But the dog gets completely mixed messages because the dog thinks, oh, so I'm doing a good thing here by acting out like this, you know, yeah. growling and, and snarling and lunging. I get rewarded, um, you know, and he not just gets dopamine for the lunging, he also gets the reward from his owner of comfort. And yeah, yeah. And so that that's the challenge, right? So the, the, the thing you do is, at the end of the day, you actually go back on your day, you do an inventory of your day, and you go, right, all the things that happened today, what do I want my drugs for, right? Which bit do I actually want to lock in, and which bit do I want to forget about? And what you do is you write it down. You write down what I call them the positives of the day, right? It's not gratitude, it's not a journal, it's not, you know, I've got roof over my head and food in my tummy, or I had a lovely walk, or anything like that. It's evidence-based of the thing that happened today. What would I like a pathway for? to be created or strengthened in the future. And what you do is you write it down. Now, because it's a pathway, you have to write it down in a very specific way. So the first thing is, you can only get drugs for something you do, not something you don't do, right? So you can't tell a dog what a good dog they are for not barking, right? So a way to look at this, actually, is most people, when I say to them, what would you like the dog to do instead of lunging? They say, not lunging. That's not a thing. Yeah, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. So a not thing, you can't get drugs for a not thing in the same way as you can't tr- praise, you know, a puppy for not weeing on the carpet, right? <laughs> well, should we call it then an action? So... Yeah, it's an action. So for me, it's evidence-based, but for you, it's an action. So it's a thing. It's a doing thing, right? So what you want to do is you want to, at the end of the day, go, right, what doing thing happened today that I would like to lock in? What action would I like to happen? So as a person, it might be... Um, stayed calm so instead of didn't get so anxious which is great you can't get drugs for not getting anxious you can only get drugs for staying calm instead of um didn't worry so much what people thought you might say notice they weren't focused on me so you want to you want to write down in a way that your brain can go oh that's the thing oh we 
just did that thing, right? So you write down. So the idea is for your brain to then see it in the future as a positive a thing. thing. So when they, when they recognize, when the brain recognizes it, it goes, oh, that's a thing. There's a marker thinker. there. There's a thing again, and it makes that path thicker. It's like, oh, we did that thing again, and we did that thing again, and eventually that thing makes you get, you know, your tail wag basically, and you get your drugs, and you're like, oh, that thing makes me feel good, right? But you have to first notice the thing, then you have to reinforce the thing to the point where your brain actually spots the thing without you even being able to think about it. The other thing that we tend to do is we tend to be naturally negative. So um, I was feeling really anxious, but I actually calmed down quite quickly. Well, that's really great. If you think of this as pathways, you have this really well-trodden, thick pathway for feeling anxious. You have a pathetic, scrawny one for calming down. If you thicken both of them, you're kind of missing the point, right? So you only write down what you want to keep, not something that you want to move on from. Now, if you don't do this, your brain will do it anyway. It'll just do it based on probability and occurrence and what it's used to seeing. But if you do it, within a short space of time, like the first time your brain goes, that's something I, that's different. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable. I'm not giving you drugs. But the second time it's going to go, oh, there's that thing again. And by the third time it's going, yeah, this is what we do now. Have your drugs, you know? And it's it's really quite a quick process. Quicker, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I think that it's going to be a theme over the, the, the podcast because one of my big um, questions in life, which probably won't be answered for some time, is, um, you know, can we... Well, just very, very briefly, obviously, um, we've spoken about what we're doing with the puppies. I've spoken a lot on Facebook about the um, early neurological stimulation and putting stresses on the body before it understands what stress is emotionally um, and getting it right from the start, right? So people that come with puppies to be proactive and training rather than waiting for an incident to happen and then try and you know, get back that time. So the big question is, can we take a dog like uh, Tristan and Harpy who have had multiple homes uh, and you know got pretty severe histories. I don't get to write on Facebook how severe because I'm a bit worried about repercussions in the future, right? <laughs> so um, can we take that type of dog and can we ever get ever write the pathways, yes. program the brain clearly enough so we can completely get rid of those old habits? Yeah. And we think probably loosely we can. Yeah. But there's so many layers to, to, to it yeah. because it's not just as simple as one pathway, is it? There's, there's no. so many ways in to get that old response. And you're right, you know, pathways are kind of critical. Um, the neurobiology of things, the, the chemistry of it, the, the kind of the drugs based and the subconscious versus conscious and all of these things. And then this, this conversation, which I think will be our next podcast, which is early development the impact that early development has, the, the negative impact, the positive impact, all of these things and how it relates to these pathways and how much can be programmed in the brain. We were talking before about um, a relative whose husband has had a stroke and you know how the brain can recover from a stroke and that there's just so much to it. We don't know enough about the brain. We, we don't know enough, but we do, know, <laughs> we do know that repetition makes a difference. We know it in humans and we know it in dogs. We know that repetition makes a difference. And what we don't realize is that it's consistent, evidence-based repetition. And I think that's the hardest thing on the walks, is to get people to do action and reward, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just reward, 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 or action, action, you know, like calling the dog's name all the time. Just create a clear link. You have clear words that you use to learn to use different words for different things. But, But that's what we, back to our original, you know, unconscious incompetence, 
you're going to take them to conscious incompetence by showing them how these things work and, and trying to get the building blocks to be small enough for them to learn yeah but also see how much repetition is actually required because obviously i'm only with them for an hour sometimes an hour a week sometimes yeah. a couple hours a week but in the meantime um you know you don't really see how much behind the scenes like for, for example susie how much work i actually do yeah because on the walk it's just a walk yeah. right but there's so much going on beneath the surface um to get to the point where you know you've got something happening without Yep. Hariko is a great example. The Chow Chows are not supposed to be able to get off the leads. No. They're supposed to be standoffish with strangers. Right, okay. And we've got, you know, her natural instinct according to the Chow Chow Club and people that have had Chow Chows and then what she's actually doing. Yeah. And it's not, you know, it's not um, been, it's been easy because I know what to do because it's yeah. that unconscious yeah, yeah. part. You know, it's unconscious for me because I know what to do. Yep. But the, the work's still been there. It's still been a lot of, you know, time. Yeah. And yeah, I'd like to do more on how much repetition we actually need with, yeah. with owners. I'd like to really ingrain that as a, um, too much of it is like, yeah, this is fun, this is enjoying, but actually it's time with your dog. Yeah, and, and, and that's, you know, that. it's homework, isn't it? As we said yeah. right at the start, it's like, we can only do so much in, in an hour. Yes. We rely on what happens in between, but you and I are both the same in that we're, we recognise that you have life situations and things happening too. So we're here, you know, ready to answer those questions, but you have to ask them, you know? I, can, I can't do anything in between a session with my clients. If it's all going terribly for them, there's nothing I can do if I don't know about it. Yeah. If they message me, I can help them, but if it- Well, the other things I'm aware of, there's quite a few sensitive people on the walks that will text me afterwards or I'll text them after remember yeah. you know, and I'm dealing with 100 people a week. <laughs> so <laughs> it's crazy. It's hard, yeah. To the point where someone's like, Hey, you've never messaged me your bank details for weeks and weeks and i'm like yeah i can't remember you have to message me <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um so yeah there's there's a few people that have um, still got some issues out with the walks yeah. and they don't talk to me about it on the walks and, no. I, and i think that i'd like to you know open that dialogue up to say it's okay to say actually this is not just working for me and i would like something else as well as this yeah and, and you know somebody said to me today oh I, I need to ask jess something but she's talking to somebody else so i don't want to go and interrupt her and it was like god interrupt her. <laughs> go ask her that's what the walks are for you Absolutely, know yeah. but they hung back from you to, to not ask to not it's not a big thing you. asking somebody though isn't it it's you huge know? and that's a whole other topic asking for help so our note for the end of this podcast because we thought we'd try and wrap them up in a far more structured way, but I'm not sure. Um, so the note is, is the thing that you can do. At the end of each day, write down at least one positive thing. Now, writing it down is an experience, right? So it's not enough to think it. You can write it down. You can record a voice memo. You can type it. It doesn't have to be handwritten or anything like that. But write down one thing. If you look back on your day and say, okay, if there was a pathway I wanted to think of, if there was something in six months' time I would like to get drugs for, what would that one thing be today? And by the way, there's nothing that's too trivial. There's nothing, because your brain will decide if you don't, right? So if you've had the worst day ever, you can write down that you made a nice cup of coffee or got out of bed. It really doesn't matter. It's not a judgment decision. It's a technical, mechanical process of choosing which parts of your brain get stronger and which parts of your brain don't get rewarded. And because it's personal and no one's going to read it, you don't have to lie. You can be as truthful as you want to be. But it's a positive. It's not a... And it mustn't be a didn't do this. It must be a did this because your brain can only grow a pathway for something you did, not something you didn't do. So no ninja negatives. 
know, I wasn't as bad as I usually am. You know, that's not going to work for you. It's just a mechanical exercise. Will I get exercise. away with, um, I eat less sweets today? No. Because oh. <laughs> how are your brain going to decide you're eating less sweets in the future? <laughs> not good enough. But, you know, it's like, it's back to Don't Think of Pink Elephant. If you want to eat less sweets, what are you going to do instead? Right? So, eat more fruit or did more exercise or something. So redirection. You want me to redirect my sweet eating to, habits? You have to... to redirect. It's like if you want to stop biting your nails, you can't stop it by just stopping biting your nails because your brain's giving you drugs for biting your nails. You're going to go cold turkey and not have nails to bite. Do something instead. Right? So, find something to do, whether it's tapping or anything else, do something instead. Right. On that note, we'll speak to you again soon.